It was 10 years after World War II ended, and there was a group of Japanese citizens who had moved to Brazil, and this large group of Japanese citizens were debating as to whether or not the war was ended. Now, now rewind, about 12 years before, during the war, these citizens were living in Japan, and during the war, they ended up moving to Brazil. Two years later, the war ended, and within 10 years, the, the Japanese citizens living in Brazil, they were questioning whether or not the war had actually ended. Uh, there was one group who believed it had ended. There was another group that said, no, there's no way that our Japanese emperor surrendered. There's just no way. The first group that believed that the war had ended, the reason why they believed it was they had heard uh, from not only news stories that the war had ended, but they also had received letters and communication from their relatives and their friends who were living in Japan that the war had indeed ended, that the emperor had uh, surrendered, and that World War II was done. So they believed it. But the second larger group of Japanese citizens living in Brazil, they refused to accept that the war had ended because they believed that the emperor was divine and that he would never surrender. They also believed that the Japanese military was invincible and they would never be beaten. I share this story with you because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most controversial topic throughout all of history where on one side of the discussion or debate, you have Christians who have believed the news and the reports that Jesus rose from the grave. On the other side of the debate, you've had billions of people who have lived throughout all of history who do not accept the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, but they said, there's no way, it's impossible. My question to you this morning is, where do you fall in this debate? Do you believe that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, from the grave? Or do you question it? And do you say, there's no way. It's inconceivable. <laughs> I refuse to accept this news. In Luke chapter 24, Luke gave us his gospel account of the resurrection we will not only, as we read it, learn about the good news of the resurrection, but we'll also see how different people responded when they heard the news. A group of women, they heard the news, and we're going to talk about how they responded. Then we'll see a group of men, the disciples who heard the news, and see how they responded. And then we'll finish out this message by looking at one disciple, Peter, and how he responded when he heard the news about the resurrection. So Luke chapter 24 is the text I'll be reading from. We'll be looking at the ESV translation. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? 
And the women remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The first part of this gospel account is we, we see and hear of the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Now, I want to remind us that on Friday late afternoon, Jesus died. And any time a Jewish person would, would die, uh, his family and friends, they would gather or they would gather a dead body and they would then anoint the body with spices and oils uh, so that it would keep the body from really smelling. And it was also a symbol of great respect and devotion to the deceased. They not only would anoint the body with spices and oils, but they would also wrap the body with linen cloths and put the body in a tomb. Well, because Jesus died late Friday afternoon, we know in Luke chapter 23 that his disciples had very little time to give Jesus a proper burial. And so they weren't able to anoint his body with spices or with oils. But instead, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, he, he got the body of Jesus and he quickly wrapped the body and then took the body to one of his tombs that had not been used yet. And he was able to then put the body there securely. Well, right after Joseph of Arimathea did this, the Sabbath took place because the Sabbath would start on Friday evening into Saturday. And like all good Jewish people would do, they would observe the Sabbath and they would not exert any kind of work or effort, even including helping the dead. And so we know in Luke 23 that the women were also there at the cross and they saw Jesus die and they observed Joseph of Arimathea put the body in the tomb and then they rested on the Sabbath just as Joseph and other disciples rested, leaving Jesus' body in the tomb all day, a Saturday into Sunday morning. The Bible says that Jesus rose on the third day. Where do we get day three here? Well, Jews count the day starting on Friday evening, so they would say Friday, his body was in the tomb. Saturday, his body was in the tomb. And then Sunday, on the third day, he rose from the dead. The women in the story, we know from verse 10, were Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and also we know from another gospel account that Salome was there and perhaps two other women. So we think around six women were there on this Resurrection Sunday. They were there when Jesus died on Friday afternoon. And these women, they observed his crucifixion and his death. And they knew that Jesus died for at least three reasons. The first reason they knew that Jesus died is the Roman soldiers did not break the legs of Jesus because he was already dead. Anytime a person was crucified... In order to hurry up the, the person being crucified to die, the, the soldiers would break the legs. Well, Jesus was already dead, so they didn't have to break his legs. 
The second reason the women knew that Jesus had died is because one of the soldiers, he had a spear and he pierced the side of Jesus and outflowed or came out blood and water from his side. Another indication that Jesus had died. But the third reason the women knew that Jesus had died was they saw Joseph wrap his dead body in cloths and put him away in the tomb. So these women, they go home on Friday afternoon, really upset, discouraged, depressed, because Jesus died. They observed the Sabbath all Friday night into Saturday. And then Sunday morning, about 6 a.m., these ladies wake up and they gather their spices and their oils together and they walk about two miles from where they were living to the tomb. And on their journey to the tomb, Mark tells us in his gospel that the women stop and they ask themselves, who's going to roll the stone away so we can get into the tomb? They didn't really think about that major detail But these stones were anywhere between one and two tons of weight. These women knew they couldn't push this stone out of place to anoint Jesus' body with oils and with spices. And so they were hoping that there would be many men there to help them move the stone away so they could get in. So as they're journeying, this two-mile journey to the tomb, they're frustrated They're worried, they're fretting over who's gonna move the stone, they're discouraged, they're sad, and all of a sudden, (laughs) they get to the tomb, and to their surprise, they see that the stone had been rolled away, and they look at each other like, what just happened? (laughs) What is going on? And so they, I would imagine they ran into the tomb to look in, and all of a sudden, there's no body there. They just see the linen cloths, gently folded and placed where the body was laid. Verse four tells us that they were perplexed. They were perplexed because they couldn't quite understand what they were looking at. They were so shocked beyond belief. They couldn't fathom and and truly understand how this all happened. They were surprised. Now, I'm sure many of you have been to a surprise birthday party or you may have even been surprised in your life. That happened to me this week. I had a surprise birthday party this week. I turned 40. To some of you, that's really young. And to some of you, that's really old. I'm right in the middle of my life. And I have not had a midlife crisis, even though I've shaved my head, I promise. (laughs) But on Tuesday afternoon, to my surprise, our church staff They threw me a surprise birthday party, and I wasn't expecting it at all. You see, I was expecting a normal work day, and I had come. I had all these meetings scheduled with all of our different staff members, because that's what I do on Tuesday mornings and meet with various staff members. And at at, at noon, on my schedule was to meet with Cole, one of our worship leaders. All of a sudden, 12.05 happens, and I'm wondering, where in the world is Cole? He's never late. So I go out in my office, and I say, Cole, where are you? Crickets chirping, couldn't hear anything. I walk around the offices, nobody's to be found. Where is everybody? What's going on here? Are they playing a joke on me? Finally, Cole runs to me and says, oh, Seth, I'm sorry I'm late. I got something to show you. Hurry, come here for a second. I was like, really? Okay. I walk into a dark room, lights turn on, the whole staff is there. Surprise, happy birthday. It was a special moment. I'll never forget it. I'm very thankful for that. Thank you, staff. 
but I was shocked. And I couldn't explain how it happened. Apparently, my assistant Jan and my wife Stephanie, they've been working on this for a while. I didn't know it. Most of the staff knew about it for weeks. I had no idea. And I was trying to re replay it and say, how did this all happen? But I just couldn't. In the same way, the women were shocked beyond belief. They couldn't believe it. And they were trying to replay it and say, how did all this happen? And they just couldn't quite understand it. And then we know they turn and they see these two men, dazzling, like flashes of lightning, two angels. And these angels speak and they gave them an incredible report that Jesus was alive. Verses four through seven. While the women were perplexed and surprised about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? The angels, they started out by asking the women this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, the women, they were seeking to find the dead among the dead. But to their surprise, they found that Jesus was no longer dead, but he was alive. And then the angel said, he is not here, but has risen. When you study the, the New Testament original language of Greek, these words, he has risen, is actually passive tense, which the better translation that we should read here is that he has been raised. The angels said to the women, he's no longer here, he has been raised. The reason why the angels said it this way is because that's how it happened. God raised Jesus from the grave. It was God who did it. God the Father, he raised Jesus from the dead. You will not believe in Jesus. You will not believe in his resurrection if you don't believe in God. After all, it is God who raised Jesus from the dead. Think about how this story has God written all over it. God sent the earthquake. God sent the angels. God moved the two-ton stone. And God raised Jesus from the dead. This is mentioned over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 24 reads, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised him from the dead. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He who raised the Lord Jesus, God raised the Lord Jesus. This was a supernatural divine miracle from the hands of God. So as the angels told this to the women, they then went on to say in verse six and seven, 
Remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The angels were not only saying it was God who raised Jesus from the dead, but I also want you to remember what Jesus said to you before he died back in Galilee. When you go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 22, you'll read when Jesus was talking to his disciples and to the women, he told them this prophecy and he predicted his death and resurrection. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus said these words, this prophecy, this prediction about his death and resurrection to the women, to the disciples right here in Luke. And the angels reminded the women of when Jesus told them these things. And right then and there, it clicked. What does verse eight through 10, verses eight through 10 tell us? The women remembered. They remembered what Jesus had told him. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. When the women saw there was no body, when they saw the angels, they fell down and worshiped the Lord because they knew this was from God. And when they remembered what Jesus prophesied about his death and resurrection, they then understood. And what did they do? But they ran to the disciples to tell them what they just saw, heard, and experienced. My question to you is, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And if you do, when is the last time you talked to somebody about it? If it's been a while, I would encourage you this day on Easter Sunday to talk to someone about it. Yesterday, I was at Kohl's and the lady said, happy Easter. And I said, thank you for saying that. I said, I'm preparing for three messages tomorrow, tomorrow because he is risen. And she was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Talk to somebody about it. You might go out to eat. And if they say happy Easter, say something like that. But just tell him, tell whoever you talk to, he has risen. The women, they did it. They cherished and pondered these words that they heard from the angels and they ran and told the disciples. But what did the disciples do when they heard it from the women? They didn't receive it, did they? Initially. Look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. An idle tale, what does that mean? When the men, the disciples heard these women tell them all this great news about how Jesus was alive, they looked at him as if they were crazy, as if they had two heads, and they said, you're speaking nonsense, you're babbling, this is silly talk. They refused to accept what these ladies were telling them. And unfortunately, in this day and age, women's testimony in court was not recognized as valid or trustworthy. Women in these days, their, their word was as good as a, a slave or a criminal. And so these disciples, they hear this, these women and they're, they're overwhelmed with excitement, enthusiasm. They, they, probably can barely get, they can probably barely get enough words out. And as they're talking, the disciples just said, this is hogwash. This is silly talk. This is nonsense. And they refused to believe it or to accept it to be true. 
You know, I know a lot of you have probably seen the, the movie Encanto, Encanto. And in that movie, the famous song is, we don't talk about Bruno. The disciples were not talking about Jesus. They said, we don't talk about Jesus. We don't want to bring this up. He's dead, ladies. We don't want to talk about him right now. He's dead. They excused them and said, please, no more. You know, it's fascinating when you look into the resurrection throughout thousands of years of history. People have tried to make up theories to disprove the resurrection actually happened. There's been a number of theories. I'll just mention a few. The first theory that's been said over the years is known as the stolen body theory that, well, the disciples or somebody stole the body and Jesus is still dead. The reason why this theory proves false is there's many reasons, but first... Jesus was, his tomb was guarded by between four to 16 Roman soldiers. And these were buff, in shape soldiers that you wouldn't want to mess with. And the disciples, just a day before, they were scared and they deserted Jesus. There's no way they would have gone to fight these soldiers. And there's no way that they would have been able to move this two-ton stone after fighting these soldiers. And by the way, the other piece of evidence that we know why the body was not stolen is because thieves, back in the day, they would take every kind of valuable possession if they got into a tomb. But in this case, the body was gone and the clothes were folded up gently, left. What thief would leave clothes behind and steal a naked body? So the stolen body theory, <laughs> it's a theory. Another theory is that it's called the, the wrong tomb theory. And many people have said, well, the women just went to the wrong tomb. The problem with, with this theory is there's, there's really two things. Number one is that the women, I want to remind you, Friday evening, afternoon, they, they observed Joseph of Arimathea and they saw him put the body in a specific tomb. So they knew exactly what tomb it was. But the other thing is the angels said, he is not here, he has risen, meaning his body was here, but it's not here anymore. You chose the right tomb. So the wrong tomb theory is just a theory. The third theory that I find interesting is the hallucination theory. Well, all the disciples, all the people that Jesus appeared to after he rose again, they were just hallucinating. They just pictured and imagined him being there, but they really didn't see him. He wasn't really physically there in form. The problem with that, halluc that hallucination theory is that Jesus made at least 10 post-resurrection appearances in multiple times to multiple people in, in different locations. And there was one time where he appeared to over 500 witnesses at one setting. Now, you mean to tell me 500 people saw hallucination? I don't think so. In fact, we know that some of these disciples, they, they heard Jesus talk. They were touched by him. They even saw him eat. That's not a hallucination. But yet, time and time and time again throughout history, we've seen millions of people try to disprove the resurrection by making up theories. They're saying, we don't talk about Jesus. We refuse to accept it, just as that group of Japanese 
citizens in Brazil refused to accept that the war was over. So what about you? Have you refused to accept the resurrection to be true? Even though there's so much circumstantial evidence that proves otherwise? If you have refused to accept it to be true, I wanna encourage you to do what Peter did in verse 12, to look into it yourself and to check into it. Begin reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, study church history, learn about Jesus, and I think you'll find that you'll be pleasantly surprised. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. What did Peter do? He heard the report from the women, and instead of just dismissing it like the other men did, he said, there might be something to this. And he ran to the tomb, and in John's account, we know that Peter and John ran to the tomb, and John outran him, he was faster than Peter, and when John looked into the tomb, it said that John immediately believed, because John was there at the foot of the cross, he saw Jesus dead, and now he sees that Jesus is not there, and John immediately believed. Peter then follows John, he walks in the tomb, and he marvels. Oh, maybe there is something to what the women just told me. Oh, maybe Jesus is indeed alive. And later on in Luke 24, we, we learn that Jesus appeared to Peter and the other disciples, and it says that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand. Again, a sovereign act of God opening the minds of, of his people saying, I'm alive. Peter ended up believing, and the other disciples ended up believing too. Praise the Lord for that. And they believed it so much that they ended up dying for Jesus. And it was the transformation of the disciples from going to coward to courageous that, convinced, that has convinced so many people throughout history that there must be something true about this resurrection. Because these disciples, they had a complete transformation of life from being cowards to being courageous, giving their lives for Jesus. So what about you? Have you questioned the resurrection? And if you have, I'm here to tell you, the more you get into it, the more you'll be surprised in a very good way. There was a, a man by the name of Frank Morrison. He was a British journalist who lived in the 20th century, and he ended up going on a quest to prove that the resurrection never happened. He wanted to write a, a research paper that would turn into a book that would prove that the resurrection didn't happen. But the more he dug, and the deeper he dug, he realized, oh my goodness, there's so much evidence here that actually proved that he did rise from the grave. And Frank Morrison became a Christian because he kept studying it. He ended up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone? And in his preface, he wrote these words. This book is the inner story of a man who originally set out to write one kind of book and found himself compelled by the sheer force of circumstance to write quite another. <laughs> if you look for Jesus among the dead, my friends, you will not find him there. Why? Because he's alive. So like Peter, I encourage you to look into it yourself 
and you'll be pleasantly surprised. One of my favorite things to do right now is to take my kids swimming, and I'm pleased to say that three of them got the green necklace at the YMCA. They passed their swimming test. We're waiting on our our fourth one. But as we go to the pool, uh, they love these little dive rings, and I just, I love watching them do this. But they'll get a ring, and they'll toss it into the water, and they just kind of watch it sink to the bottom of the pool and they, and they throw it out to different places and they, they see where it goes and then they end up trying to, to muster enough breath and, and they, they're, they're ready to hold their breath so they can go underwater and try to collect all of them before they come up for air. And so I see them and they, they get kind of amped up, they're ready to go and they hold their breath and they go underwater and they start collecting them when they get to the bottom after diving in. And then I notice about halfway, as, as, as they've collected about half of them, they start hurrying because they're running out of breath. And so they start hurrying, and they, they frantically get the other three. And then, I love this scene. Their feet get to the bottom of the pool, and they push up, push off from the floor, the bottom of the pool, of the pool and they come out of the water, ah, refreshed, because they have air now. And then after they say, ah, They then show me all the rings they collected. Daddy, look what I got. I bring this up because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're like a dive ring at the bottom of a pool. (laughs) You are dead in your sins. You really can't do anything spiritually good. Yeah, maybe civic good. You can be a good person. But from a spiritual perspective, you're dead. You're a sinner in need of a rescue. And by God's grace, Jesus came from heaven and he came to this earth and he didn't sin once. All of us here sin all the time. That's why we're dead at the bottom of a pool. But our sovereign, gracious God left heaven, came to this earth, lived perfectly, And then he went down and down and down to the depths of the grave, just as my kids went down to the depths of the pool. And what did Jesus do? He came to die for his people. And after being in the grave, he busted out of it and he said, here I am, I'm alive. And then he said, I've got you in the palm of my hand. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he came to die for you. He went to the grave on your behalf so that you could be forgiven of your sins and that you could have hope in this life. You could experience joy. You could be content. We're in such a discontented, unhappy world right now. But in Jesus, we don't have to be unhappy. We don't have to be discontent. But instead, we can be comforted by his words. We can have peace. We can be content and experience joy in this life and true joy into the next. Jesus came to save his people. He came to die for his people. And he came to offer us hope and life, and he promises 
that once we are his, he will never let us out of his hands. If you want to commit your life to following this great Jesus, I just encourage you to know these words from Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord so that you will be rescued from the bottom of the pool. So if you would like to pray this prayer with me, please pray this silently to yourself and repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. Thank you for living a perfect life and dying a sinner's death on the cross for my sins. I now turn from my sinfulness and self-trust, and I place my trust in you alone for the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life. I now receive you as my risen Lord and Savior. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer of commitment, your life will never be the same. I encourage you to continue coming to church. I encourage you to come here at Christ Covenant. We're a church that is uncompromising in truth and we are unwavering in love. And we encourage you to keep coming back uh, to be a part of our church family. But if this isn't your home, we encourage you to find a local Bible-believing church that you can invest in and you can be invested in. Because you'll need to meet with other Christians that will encourage you in the faith. But begin to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and learn more and more about this great Jesus. And at the end of the service, I'll be in the hallway along with some of our church leaders. We would love to pray with you and talk to you about next steps on your Christian journey. For those of us here who love Jesus and who have been changed by him already, be reminded of this day and how hopeful it is and how it should bring us all joy and peace because Jesus has risen.